Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers from FasterSkier.com. World Cup racing was in Trondheim this weekend, the home of next season's World Ski Championships. Devin was there on scene and has some intel for us. And we've also got a guest, veteran U.S. ski and wax technician Eli Brown, joining us for a recap and the inside scoop on his job. We'll be back in a minute. Stay with us. This episode of The Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by Kindling Collective, a queer-focused outdoor gear organization in Portland, Maine. Kindling is co-founded by my sibling, and they're running some inclusive cross-country ski programs next month. They've got an event for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, and another one focused on queer people. Kindling is doing some awesome programming to bring people from traditionally underrepresented backgrounds into the outdoors, and contributions to them are tax deductible. To donate, visit kindlingcollective.org donate. And if you have questions or want to connect with the organization's leaders, email me, nat at fasterskier.com. You actually got to be at a World Cup this weekend. For sure. Look at how beat up I look. That's why. I'm not made for the for the support staff. The Canadians killed me. Just kidding. They didn't. Yeah, I, it was uh I was up in um that's a joke. I was up in up in Trondheim for the World Cups this weekend and cool to see the world championship venue and kind of suss out how things are gonna be for next year and saw some great racing and uh worked my ass off, you know, like the tech life for those that are always super curious about like what it is to be a tech. Uh perhaps Eli will join us later, perhaps not. But um the fact of the matter is it it on race weekends, it involves getting up incredibly early and being on site at the latest, like 6.30, 6.45, and then you're there until 6.30 p.m., 7 kind of thing. So, and here we go. Now we're going to hear, hear it right from the horse's mouth. So you... <laughs> I better turn this off because I'm in the middle of this. Uh... Wow. All right. That was... I uh, thought I'm waiting for... I'm in the ski bag, cor- ski bag corner over here. Nice. That's commitment. Yeah. That's, I wasn't uh, sure how long it would take, so I thought I'd check in. I'm 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 laughing because we've got uh, Eli Brown, an instrumental stalwart member of the U.S. ski teams, uh, waxing and ski service staff, just uh, joining us with his uh, video rolling of him in a mask in the middle of like Detroit airport. Trying to yeah, I just uh, I took your advice. I, I I hustled on the way out past about a hundred people, and ended up on the podium. You were like, you were like, get the yeah. out of my way. I've got some something no, no, really no. important to do. No, it was a si- a silent jog through the throng throng of a hundred people. It reminded me of the stadium this last weekend, about a hundred people. Well. Well, let me um let me quickly introduce you, Eli. We are we are rolling here and love to you know get some uh, or- organic sounds of uh, navigating a modern airport. Um, but uh, yeah, so Eli Brown, uh, I think I think I met Eli first about 10, 12 years ago when I was working at Faster Skier, and he was the head coach of the university of utah cross-country ski team which like at the ncaa level is you know basically equivalent to norway new york yankees whatever equivalent you want it's like they're one of the leading college programs in the u.s and then eli you're gonna have to you're gonna have to help me a little bit here but if, if i remember correctly you you maybe took some time off or like you know 
farming some fruit tree type stuff up in somewhere in the upper upper Midwest. And then a few years ago, made a return uh, and, and have been working for the past many seasons on the European World Cup circuit, uh, supporting U.S. athletes uh, with the, you know, highest at the highest level with with ski picking waxing getting the bus where or getting the truck where it needs to go every i'm sure there are you know other duties as assigned many of them that i haven't heard about but uh and and uh absolutely need to to plug if you want a behind the scenes view of like what is going on uh in eli's world on the u.s ski team service staff they've got a uh They've got a new Instagram account, and that is uh, at USAXCTECHS. And, you know, you can sort of see photos of skis and wax and other inane shit that they are uh, doing in that in that wax truck. Because, uh, I mean, if, if I'm not wrong, like there is definitely a vibe of uh, you guys are like a bunch of dudes on the road and it probably gets to be a grind and you need to solve that with humor from time to time but that was yeah quite a long-winded introduction Eli just flew back to the U.S. from from uh period one in Europe and we're really psyched to have him join us I think we're particularly interested to hear like about um this this being the first year where the International Ski Federation is enforcing rules against uh fluorinated waxes and and Trondheim seemed like it as a very wet place where those fluorinated waxes would traditionally be used would be an interesting weekend to hear about that from but Eli is also just like good guy, interesting guy. And, you know, I think fun to get it, bring his perspective into the recap that we're going to do. And, and uh, just to like hear a little bit more about sort of what it's like behind the scenes. So thanks, thanks for joining us, Eli. Yeah, you bet. Is my audio okay at the moment? It's shockingly good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Just waiting for some luggage here. Oh yeah. Thanks for the intro. And yeah, you, you pulled me in with your, with your question about the, uh, the waxing this weekend so yeah love to chat and by the way i knew i knew this was coming too because i was on the porch of yolanda and there goes devin doing that that speed walk on the ice and we had a moment looking at each other in the eye. i'm like oh yeah i'm gonna catch up with that guy soon <laughs> so well, we appreciate it we really appreciate it eli thanks for making the time to join us and i i, I agree yeah. with what matt was saying i think it's especially interesting to talk we actually get a lot of questions about this like the uh, the floral ban that's happening. We've touched on this previously, but I, what I think maybe some people don't really recognize so much on the world cup side of things. It's been cold. It's been really cold here in period one, like below minus 10 degrees Celsius. And it's not that photos don't work in those temperatures, but they don't have as big an effect. And and coming into this weekend as the, everyone was following the weather forecast for Trondheim and Rain was forecasted in temperatures over zero degrees and, and fresh snow that was quickly transforming and being really soggy. There was a real vibe on the World Cup where everyone's like, oh my gosh, like, are we going to have, is this when there's going to be even bigger differences than we've seen in the past with skis? Because no one really has a great handle on on uh, these these new products that are on the market and that sort of thing. And I don't know, my perspective is I didn't really see that with my own eyes that there was skis that were way way better than others but at the same time well maybe on sunday but we can get back to that but i was so i'll just lead off with the first question like how has that transition been for you guys i mean i know on the canadian truck it is it's been a challenge for sure i mean getting to know all these different products but 
and they're coming out new ones are coming out almost seeming like every couple weeks so how, how has that been in the lead up and then uh to the season and then and then in Trondheim specifically Eli oh yeah well shit that's a big question and that's been our life at least for the last six weeks and I guess three years before that thinking this uh turn of events was going to happen sooner but uh uh we our preparation was was pretty minimal honestly we had a, a snow camp at sonia feld in june and uh the last i guess this is the third winter of showing up early in northern finland before the athletes did uh, to munio and and kind of having a focus on it then as well although this year it was just full-on cleaning mayhem for three or four days uh when we first got there and um yeah i mean it, it's always on our minds and like you said especially this last weekend with uh, the new weather that we that we haven't had a chance to try any of this uh, wax or applications or products or whatever um yeah the, the nerves are high but it, and uh it's been interesting for sure Do you um maybe like I think it'd be helpful just to like quickly give like listeners just like a little context. I'm sure that like folks know some folks know probably a lot about this stuff, but basically fluorocarbons they're a, a ingredient like a chemical ingredient that's been traditionally mixed into ski wax. That's it's the word for it is uh hydrophobic, and so basically it sort of repels water, makes the skis faster particularly when <clears throat> it is like a more watery kind of sticky uh warmer conditions and you know the, the, interestingly like this stuff has always been fantastically expensive like you can pay a hundred dollars or more for like a little chunk of this highly fluorinated ski wax but then in the past few years it's like come out that this the the chemicals that go into the fluorinated ski wax are actually like toxic and you don't want them around so they were banned but up until this year um there was no there was no testing and while the ski companies were like making new uh new waxes that ostensibly were as fast and and made with none of these toxic materials like there were lots of questions being thrown around including by including by our guest Eli about like whether teams actually were using uh you know I illegal wax products and I, I may be sort of mixing my memories here but um what one thing i'm curious about is like eli this was the first year this is the first year where the international ski federation has actually been testing skis for uh fluorinated wax and there's been some discussion about like could you get a false positive? Could athletes sort of get disqualified? And I, I'm curious, like how much a, like, did you guys go above and beyond this year? Like, what was your preparation to make sure that you weren't bringing anyone skis that had any traces of fluorocarbons that could bust them and get them DQ'd from a race before it starts? Um, and sort of how worried have you been about that as you guys have been like racing and skis have been getting tested? Yeah. No, I mean, for sure, it's all all new for us and uh, it, hard to say if we should still be nervous or not since things have seemed pretty simple um, as far as the testing of skis before and after all the races. But 
I mean, we, we turned inside of our truck, uh, totally spotless, clean. Carell spent three weeks doing that at home, turned it in, you know, like hospital room clean, a clean room, you know, and even athletes coming over with ski bags were instructed to wash them and, and, uh, clean their skis with, with, uh, travel wax as well. So, um, and we have opportunities to test every weekend thus far with the actual machines that the FIST sets up a few days before the events. So there's been a, a growing level of confidence that something weird is not going to happen, I guess. Oh, for sure. That's a, uh, it has been interesting because this is the first time, this is my first interaction with those floral machines, like in the wild. I mean, I'd seen some of the prototypes that had been in uh, world cup venues before that, you know, we, we talked about that, maybe not us specifically, Eli, but I talked a lot with technicians from many different nations in the previous iterations of this, this floral, um, Floro testing machine was like, it was pretty poor. Let's just call it what it is. Like it was pretty poor. A lot of, you couldn't trust the data and it seems like they really figured it out for this season. And it's really interesting that you said that, because this is also what has happened in the Canadian truck where, where the amount of work to get these, because these are for people that don't truly understand, or maybe not aren't, aren't super familiar. Like You've probably seen the pictures of the American whack truck, which is pretty sweet, <laughs> especially compared to the Canadian hunk of junk. But regardless, these are these are semi trailers that are totally kitted out with ventilation systems and can hold, especially like the U.S. truck or the, the Norwegian truck, Finnish truck. I mean, they can hold thousands of pairs of skis and products like tens of thousands, probably like over a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment. Well, for sure over a hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment totally, but like even the waxing products, this is small particular, this is like tiny particulates, nor you, when you start like roto brushing or ironing these fluorocarbons into the bases and they get everywhere. So the cleaning job was that it's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly what the Canadians did too. in every team and also with a ski bag, super stressed with athletes coming over, like you don't want any traces and, it seems like, yeah, it's cool that it's worked out well for you guys. It's worked out well for the Canadians, worked out well for the Norwegians, but it's been, um, yeah, it's been yeah, it's, and, uh, yeah, and a, a learning experience and still, um, some nerves about clear base skis. Uh, but it seems like they've that ha got that figured out now as well. So, um, yeah, that's been a big change. I'd say there's uh, a lot of other changes that are associated to that as well. And, um, yeah, more, more so than if one, one new flow of free wax is faster than the other or it's put on the right way or not. I think the changes uh, in our, our, our timetables with having to turn the skis in, you know, 30 minutes before a normal start has been a, a bigger kind of change and, and interesting to see how different teams deal with that differently. Wait, can you say more about that? So <clears throat> basically what happens is athletes up in the past athletes, basically you'd be working with them and, and they'd be able to sort of test, skis all the way up until they bring their skis with them to the start line a couple minutes before the start but now they have to lock in 30 minutes before the gun goes off and hand the skis over to potentially be tested yeah exactly and in a classic race we can still touch up the kicks the kick wax in a special uh area where only you're allowed to have you know kick wax and cork or whatever um but yeah it's it's a new timeline for us so you see you see different teams going out, going about their day differently. And it's been an important learning process for us. We're still learning as a team uh, the, the other techs and I about, about how we can best utilize the new time frame. Are, are the, um, go ahead, Devin. 
No, 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 no. You asked your question. Are the does it seem like at this point that the new fluoro free kind of top level waxes that companies have come out with, do they does it feel like they are as fast as anything that you guys have used before that were fluorinated waxes or is and or is that yeah that's a good question it's it's a little hard to say because like you guys know it's been cold and slow for a month and then we all of a sudden it's warm and wet so i mean that was a perspective you know uh, talking a lot with uh oleg and Perrick this last weekend about how different it feels to kick on clister since it's the first time i mean the skis were ripping it was in a freeze thaw cycle in trondheim and um i don't know yet but i suspect when it gets warm new snow it's gonna not feel as good but uh maybe we'll all be used to it by then no it is it is really interesting about that because i mean like yeah like yeah i mean i, I think I, my, my my opinion is that if we all had like 100 percent floral powders on our skis like we had had before especially in toronto i think we would have noticed quite a difference maybe especially on sunday when it started getting a little dirty because it also is really good in in dirty conditions, but it is it has been incredibly fascinating to to follow this <laughs> this change, and it's it's cool. You brought up the yeah. I mean, if you went side by side and you had florals and I didn't, we'd yeah. we'd notice. But when it's all you're yeah. doing all day, every day, uh, exactly. You know, in, in those conditions, and yeah, it was slippery this weekend. That's for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. I think the, I think the timeline is really interesting too. Like you said, like. So for people that are listening or maybe were skiers themselves like 20 years ago. So back in the days, you had this thing called ski marking where you had, you know, you had to pick a pair of skis. And when you went into to the towards the start area and get your transponders, which is these electronic chips that are around your ankles for all the split times on the course and everything, uh, you get your like you get you have to pick one pair of skis and have them marked. And then a number of years ago, they gave up on marking the skis and then literally like you had teams like Norway and us, like when I was active in, as an athlete, if it was tricky conditions, you you could go to the start with like multiple different pairs of skis and then pick the pair of skis you want at the last possible second in race. And now with half an hour before, especially for the skiathlon with these discussions, these were discussions that were happening in Canada. You could only bring two pairs of skis. So you could bring two pairs of classic skis for the skiathlon on Saturday and one pair of skate skis. Um, but it was classic skis to bring your classic skis 30 minutes before the start. And there was some worry that, you know, like, could it start snowing and then you need rub skis and with a clister change, um, that had, that had, uh, people's blood pressure increasing in the, in the camp. Yeah. Because that, that's a whole new timeline, especially of exactly. teams, yours, yours and our size, where that means you have to glide wax both those skis. And when are you going to do that? And when are you going to test those extra skis and yada, yada, but uh, yeah, to be prepared for the elements was key this weekend, I think. Yeah, no, it's it, yeah, it's it's a it, it's it's kind of well, I mean, it is fascinating to be on the front line of seeing how how all these teams are 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 dealing with these uh, with these challenges. But I I think I mean from just on the on the ground, I don't know what your thoughts were, but I feel like most teams are all team. Maybe Finland on Sunday uh, missed something, but I I kind of think that's probably more on the kick side of things. So too draggy, but uh, hard to know. But it it, it seemed like. I was surprised actually. I, I don't know what your thoughts were, but I, I thought a lot of a lot of teams had skis that were in the game, and you could see that in the in the mass start. Yeah, I, th I think it's a little more level than people people might realize, and I think it's also been a little bit uh, of an adjustment for everyone, like we've been talking about. This weekend was extreme. I mean, and and uh, it's not just me having 
a bunch of new skis I've never tried before. It's every tech for every athlete in this condition with new skis and, uh, you know, looking at that dark cloud across the, across the way there, it's, it, it, we were on edge, you know, and I think, uh, and w- with the timelines and with a long period one that maybe there was more strikes and gutters than in other races this season, but, um, yeah, fairly normal. I had one quick question, Eli, about, uh, can you just let us know, like how, how many, like on a, on a weekend. So let's, let's just take Trondheim as the example. Like how many staff does the U S ski team have in their wax truck? And how do you split up uh, the jobs? Like, do you have like a, a grip boss, a glide boss, a structure boss, and then technicians on each team or, or so how, how many total and, and how do you divide up, uh, yeah, well, I'd say that's a that's a hard way to count because it's all hands on deck. Uh, we we had friends and friends and friends of friends helping us this last weekend, and the coaches are always out there doing glide outs. So uh, yeah, it's a group effort. But I can tell you that we have eight wax stations in our truck, and those were definitely all all filled all day long uh, this last week. Wait, so friends and friends of friends, like for real, like who was who who tapped in? Uh, a friend of mine, Kurt Wolf, longtime friend from Wisconsin who lives in Trondheim. And then uh, a guy that we first only knew <laughs> that we called friend. We didn't know his name, uh, uh, a ski classics racer that lives like 1K from the venue named Martin. And he was great. He was actually in the mix with uh, the uh, that protest that that might have also almost happened one day. He was on TV the other day. He was helping us with a headlamp on and on that icy test track early in the morning. They were both both champions it's it was cool and of course we have the uh trail to gold fellows that out that are have been with us all year so we're able to use the women's bibs most most of the time which is i think to our benefit as well so yeah that's like a a you a program i think between the u.s women's ski coaches association and the u.s ski team where they're sending uh women women's coaches uh, female coaches onto the world cup with you guys as sort of like a, a fellowship um Right, and there's uh, each each nation has two bibs that are only allowed to be used for women in the test track or on or on course or whatever, and uh, we're one of the few nations that always take advantage of that when we can. Yeah, that's cool. I I have a couple questions. I mean, one is I am curious if at this point you feel like it, there were questions in the past couple years about there was there was a fluoro ban that basically the only enforcement or commitment was like a bunch of heads of national ski associations getting in a room and like pinky swearing that no one was going to use this banned stuff because there was no enforcement and i think it you know over those past couple years there's definitely been some questions about like is everyone abiding by these rules and maybe more so with like some of the smaller, small, less teams that maybe didn't have a budget to replace all their waxes. But I think even then, like there were some questions and some things I heard about China during the Olympics, as far as like, you know, if there's no testing, we might as well test all of these waxes, even the ones that are technically banned. And I'm curious, like how much, there were have been kind of suspicions over the past couple of years that people were kind of trying to test the test the rules and now how much confidence there is now that there is actually enforcement going on this year that everyone is kind of on a level playing field 
Yeah, I don't know if anything's worth speculating at this point, but um, we we are getting. I, I feel confident that it, it's fair right now. Um, the tests are getting more and more accurate. The, the, we've learned about the machine. We've been able to use it, and it's before and after the race. So, I mean, and there's been only one DQ or not permitted to start for the whole season this far. So, yeah, I I trust it now. I think I think that's important too to embrace it part, part of the process. Hey, so, I got to check my bags. Can I call you back in 10 minutes? Yeah, we'll, we'll be here. <laughs> Later. Lighter, better, faster. The new Speedmax Helium Ski from Fisher is the ultimate in race ski technology. The Speedmax Helium Skate Plus features a bi-directional air core and a redesigned World Cup tip, helping this revolutionary ski weigh in at less than 950 grams. Paired with the new Speedmax boot, Fisher's Speedmax Helium skis keep you staying stronger during your next long ski and can help you drop time during your next big race. Learn more about the new Speedmax Helium system at fishersports.com. Remember, skiing isn't a lifestyle, it's life. Devin, I mean, you know, if we've got a few minutes while while Eli's checked out and we're not getting into a recap yet, I mean, I'm curious, I read a lot, I mean, it sounded like it was a little bit of a frenetic weekend. So, so this was a big weekend for the world cup circuit. Like Trondheim is where the world championships are going to be next season. And this, this was sort of the pre world championships one year out test event. And it just, it sounded like it was a little chaotic with like transportation. There were these climate activists that um, tried to disrupt the race. And we can talk about that a little bit, but I'm just curious, like, and also there were comments that like actually not very many people showed up to watch the races and maybe that had something to do with the weather. But I'm just curious, like, you know, there also were a lot of hopes that like this was going to be a kick ass event venue experience. And like, what was it like? Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, this probably will get a bit of hate mail from some Norwegians that are involved, but it was a bomb. I mean, I think, I think Trondheim, I was shocked. I mean, I've raced in Trondheim before on the world cup. It went through in the ski tour, the Scandinavian ski tour in 2020. I know this was in the spring. So it's a lot easier to get people out and to venues and things like that when the days are longer and you don't have a giant holiday bearing down your neck, AKA Christmas vacation. Uh, but that said, I mean, and I was there racing in, in 2009, the for a 50 K there when, when the venue in Oslo had to be redone. And so they moved the 50k for that year to to Trondheim and it was awesome with fans and a great organizing committee and everything was just tip top this weekend. I was shocked. I mean, like if anyone wants to think about what Trondheim could be for the world championships, like just go on YouTube and type in like Trondheim 1997 worlds and it's like pandemonium. There's like hundred over a hundred thousand people there. It's just a total party that you'd expect for a world championship in, in Norway every single year in home and colon, uh, the 50 K that happens in March every year. It's the only 50 K on the calendar It's pandemonium every single year in, in, in the world cup. You've been there for that a number of times and wrote a great piece for the New York times just last year. So I had high hopes for Trondheim and I was shocked. I mean, first of all, the venue itself, I mean, the stadium is great. The classic side of the course I think is great. It has, uh, it's got, good climbing it's it looks good on tv it's beautiful skiing then you get to the skate side and you're like what like what is this i mean it's quite easy it's flat it's kind of 
boring. It's going over this long bridge and then just kind of doing this little Yui. I like the course itself. I think I'm shocked. I just can't believe this is the world championship course they came up with. I think it's not even close to up to snuff, especially when you compare it to some of the, the iconic world championship courses like Oslo, like Val de Fiem, like Oberstdorf. Like this is not, not at the level transportation. I mean, Trondheim is not a big, this is not a big city. It's just over 200,000 or right around 200,000 people. We're not talking about Beijing. No, we're not talking Beijing. Uh, We were all staying in one hotel, not that far, about 15 minutes from the venue in in Iskandik. And bus drivers were getting lost with athletes in it. I don't think our athletes from Canada ever got to the venue less than 10 minutes late than 15 minutes. And we drove there. We mean, we were driving back and forth a ton and it, it takes like, yeah, just under 15 minutes <laughs> driving in horrendous conditions. Like I heard stories from like the horse's mouths that like, I won't name them, but like athletes that were talking with the bus drivers and showing them on a map on their phone. Like, no man, Gronosen is up here. And like, you need to take this street. Like it was, are you kidding me? Like, what have you been doing to get ready for this event? It's insane. And then what well, Eli made a little jab about the about the spectators in Trondheim's defense, the weather forecast, when you check the weather app, it was like hell on earth. So I do understand that that people and families looked at that and said like 30 millimeters of rain in six hours. Like maybe I won't take little Bjorn. That's, and, a, that's a foot. Yeah, exactly. A foot of rain. Like it's a, like, it, like it's not a foot of rain. It would have been a foot of snow, you know, cause that's 30 centimeters oh, right. of snow. Yeah, if it's sorry. snow, but Whatever. it's rain, but it's because one millimeter of rain is the equivalent of one centimeter of snow. But anyway, so it's super, but you're right. You're right. Uh, like a lot of, a lot of precip and kind of windy and stuff. But then actually it wasn't that bad for all the races. Like we never got hit with any of this bad weather. The sprint, it was snowing in the qualifier. Absolutely. But Aside from that, it was like pretty stable during the race times. And again, you're in this big sport crazy city and you are 10 minutes away from where everyone lives. So I was shocked that Norwegians are hardy people too. Like I really expected them to come to the venue and then, yeah, okay. If it just started nuking rain and wind and stuff, it wouldn't surprise me if multiple families just like packed it up, packed it in and went like, Hey, we, we showed up, we cheered for 15 minutes and we left, but no, no, no. There was like no fans. It made, it made like, it was crazy. It, it was, it felt like Norwegian cups have more fans than this. I couldn't believe it. It was very, very poorly attended. It looked okay on TV for the skiathlon on Saturday. Uh, it just in the finishing area. And I, I read some reports like Oga Shinstad, who's like newly taken over the, the reins for, for Trondheim 2025. He's a old boss of the Norwegian cross country ski team you know, trying to say it's like, oh yeah, we had like 6,000 people. Like, I don't know, man. I, I I think he's counting the hairs on a pom-pom because there was no way there was 6,000 people at that. But there was a lot of volunteers and there was a lot of teams and, and athletes. So maybe but not 6,000, that would maybe bring it up to like 1200, but, but it was, it was grim. And, and so when you put all this together and I mean, other things too, like now it just sounds like complaining, but, but I mean, like the, the techs and the staff, like the the food for the staff at the at the venue is by far the worst it's been in period one and and that is not normal that's that's not normal for can we that's not normal for normally can we get some specifics yeah like like just like well like just grim like i mean one meal well it it was 
kind of, there's a Norwegian delic. It's, I don't know why Norwegians like it. I think it's ridiculous, but it's called lapskaus and it's like boiled potatoes chopped up into little cubes, boiled carrots chopped up into little cubes and then like chopped up hot dogs and like, like all boiled together. It's <laughs> awesome. But, but there was no hot dogs in this lapskaus either. It's like, don't give me like chopped up boiled potatoes and chopped up carrots in this like soupy bowl. Like, what is this? So, uh, and it was like small portions. Anyway, I could go on and on, but I think, I think like Norwegian papers like to use a, a die as like to rank. And if you get a six, like if you're playing Yahtzee and you get a six, you're psyched. If you get a one, like it's a crisis. Uh, this was like between a one and a two, honestly, it was, it was a, I don't know, man. Like, and I don't know, Eli was alluding to the test track. So they've had years and years and years to develop this test track for the, for people waxing skis and testing skis in the morning. And the test track was so tight and so bad. I mean, it's like one of the worst test tracks I've ever skied in. And an Estonian, uh, Rehima, an old like um, uh, Estonian athlete, athlete. Is, yeah, World Cup athlete that is now on the Estonian staff. It's dark. So, it could, you know, like it's Trondheim. So it's dark pretty much all day. And we start testing at seven in the morning or earlier. So it's pitch black. And he flew off the test track doing glide outs, like flew right off like a huge, maybe like a couple meters off this thing and had like no. Yeah, he's a big guy. <laughs> he's a huge guy. Yeah. He fell off and like needed surgery on his hip, man. Yeah. Like he was taken to the hospital. It, it, it was a calamity of errors. Like, what the hell are you doing? Um, so yeah, no, there's a, there was a lot of problems happening with, uh, it was, it's a good thing. It was the pre like the, like the test world championship and not the world championship, because that would have been like a total, a total disaster. That said, the volunteers were great. Everyone around the venue was really psyched, which was, which was cool. But also like this, that's the little bit of positivity there. Um, but the, and Fist did a great job, honestly. Fist did a good job and they were trying to to get some changes through and, and that sort of thing. And I, I really, I tip my hat to Fist. I mean, uh, they, it was a challenging, it was a challenging weekend with a lot of moving parts, warming up, weather changing, skiathlon's always tough, this new fluoro band stuff. Like, but Fist did a really good job this weekend. So uh, hats off to them. But um, yeah, it, it was, there's no parking area. Like, I, I don't know, like I'm walking around the whole arena and I'm like, where, where? If you're going to have a hundred thousand people or even for a world cup, like where are you going to park? Like there's no room for anything and there's no room for the wax trucks. It's all built onto a hill. Like, I don't know, man. Like, it, yeah, they have, they have one year to get this going in it, to get this fixed. And I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to, to figure out. And I, I'm actually shocked. I mean, like with Norway, this is not at all. And not just Norway, like a legendary venue that Trondheim is. And they've had a lot of years to prepare for this. And it looked pretty good only three years ago like when they were last year for the world cup it's like oh yeah man like i can see the vision like i can see where they're going with this and then i don't know what happened because it got worse way worse did you get a did you get uh much of a sense of what went down with these uh climate protesters i know like last year i think in lillehammer there were some folks that like actually got on the course and and folks like there was broken poles races were kind of ruined and i don't say that with any judgment either way but uh it looked like they had super tight security this year and there was sort of uh, an attempted protest that got shut down pretty quickly 
For sure. That's exactly that's exactly what happened. And there wasn't nearly as many people as there was in Lillehammer and the same kind of thing. They're trying to put like crap in the snow, um, some sort of like dye or some sort of something in the snow, not oil or anything, but like some sort of orange, whatever it is in the snow to kind of mess with skis and, and that sort of thing. And then the classic like lie down and that, that sort of thing. But it got broken up super, super early and it didn't affect the races whatsoever. So, and no one was really involved. I, I mean, some technicians were around, like Eli also alluded to, but it was, um, you know, th this is happening all all around Europe and not, not just with cross-country skiing and, you know, in Alpine. Like, we, we've covered this in a previous podcast, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of airtime on it. But, I mean, I get it. I get people are pissed. I mean, when you have pictures of Solden in the Alpine World Cup in October of, like, bulldozers, like, taking snow bulldozing a glacier like it's a bad look so we all need to do better we all need to try better but but you know i i think some of these like the protesters i'm all they have it's all for like standing up for the environment and that, that is important to shine a light on it but i i also worry about the safety of the athletes and i worry about the safety of the protesters themselves too i mean this isn't like chaining yourself to a tree like people are going 80 kilometers an hour and if they hit you they're gonna get hurt you're gonna get hurt and i don't know if that helps the the climate cause necessarily but it, so but yeah it, it, Trondheim did a great job at least by mitigating that that issue for sure but this is something that we're all just this, this is the new normal I think we're just gonna have to deal with this and and yeah you're just gonna have tighter you're gonna have to have tighter security and and understand just like streakers and in, in uh, baseball games or football games and stuff like I mean they have tight security too but I mean there's always streakers every once in a while that kind of rip through the rip through a stadium naked so and I, I guess this I, is the new streaker i was just gonna say i mean and i still want to get a noted climate activist and author and avid cross-country ski and podcast fan bill mckibben on to talk about this with us but i mean I, I was reflecting on it a little bit and i know we talked about this last year but like <clears throat> i know that fist has a its own the international ski federation has its own commitment to like cut carbon emissions but i actually think like this conversation is really there there. And there are some ath American athletes in particular that like, I would really commend on uh, joining the protect our winners, like movement, like Gus Schumacher and Jesse Diggins are both involved with that. Like having been to like Congress to, to lobby and advocate, but I actually think like, it's kind of disappointing not to, to, to not see the sport and teams like more aggressively be speaking out about, the threat about the threat that like climate change is posing to the sport. Like, I think, you know, it's like fist should be like putting protect our winners, like on their bibs. Like, you know, yeah, 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 I agree. I like, I, like in, in a lot of ways, I agree to shine a light on a, on a critical issue, but like the hypocrisy of it all is something that like just sits poorly with me. And I understand you need a soapbox and these athletes and, and organizations, like they are the soapbox, right? Like fist could highlight that we have a problem, but when we're highlighting that it, we have a problem by all these athletes having over 50 pairs of skis and getting new skis every single winter and wax products, like in small little bottles that are all plastic and we're burning them into everything. And like the amount of garbage that is created every weekend, it's nice that the, in Norway, at least they put out like, like recycling. So you can, you, you know, like everything's paper and wood and then, and um, all plastic bottles are being recycled and there's actually containers to put it in that that doesn't happen everywhere it's like i understand we're trying but but let's not forget like we ski around in little circles in the woods and someone takes our time 
and then we get thrown like tons of money and at you and and we feel like kings but it is horrendous for the environment to be a professional athlete you're flying around the world like we're saying we care about the environment but we need to do training camps in new zealand in the summer when we live in north america like if you know anything about your carbon footprint you know that air travel is horrendous it's it's a horrendously major carbon footprint that you I'm like tongue tied. It, it's just like, it, it's hard for me to reconcile. It's like, I understand you want to go to New Zealand because you want to be fast. You want to be going in that loop in the woods and do it really, really quickly. But do we really need to be in New Zealand skiing in the summer to win? Actually, kind of. I mean, like people go to glaciers to win and that's what we've always done. And we want to be the best we can be and the margins are small, but it's horrendous for the environment. The World Cup circuit is horrendous for the environment. I really commend FIS with what they did this year by having all of period one in Scandinavia. Cause usually we don't do that. Usually it's like Scandinavia, then we're flying all the way to central Europe and then we're flying around. So it's really cool in cross country that they're really trying to group these venues, you know, to, to cut down on the travel. But like, dude, where are we going in February? North America. It's awesome. I'm psyched. I'm a ski fan. It's amazing. Camor, most beautiful venue ever. It's awesome. Minneapolis is just going to pop right off. It's crazy. Like, Everything I've heard, everyone's excited, over 30,000 fans. It's going to be a pandemonium. But, like, make no mistake, professional cross-country skiing is destroying the environment. Like, we are not in little cabins in 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 uh, the boondoggles of uh, Alaska here. Like, it's horrendous for the environment. And I'd like to hear that, too, be like, we're trying to be as good as we can. But that message needs to come out more, I think, I, from, from FIS and the athletes. Like, I mean, I think they they are like FIS has an emissions reduction plan. I also think like it's a speck in the planet of emissions. And, I, you know, I recognize there's an issue with the hypocrisy, but also it's like climate international global climate policy is like what is going to solve this problem, like not you know, athletes like dying by no, stabbing themselves with their skis. Um, no, no, I, I, tot I totally agree. I totally agree. And that's why I do agree with you that it would be great to give the circuit and the athletes a platform to say, hey, we really care about this. But I'd like, so I, I also think it's important to just give some airtime, like make no mistake. If you are a diehard environmentalist, like diehard, you need to stay 1000 miles away from professional winter sport. I mean, we, we I, I agree, like, it, it, we can't compare this to like giant oil production, or oil refineries in Texas and stuff like yes, of course, like producing 1000s of pairs of skis a year for these professional athletes, me and myself included, or taking flights to New Zealand to ski or flying here and there, like, yeah, it, it's a drop in the bucket. But I think it is important, at least to, to when you're doing this to, to, to reach out, to say, to understand that, like, listen, like we are also part of the problem. So we all need to stand up together and shout together that our sport and, and people do, like you said, Jesse's great, uh, a great spokesperson for that Gus. And there's a lot of other athletes, international athletes. And I like, I really impressed with what like protect our winters is trying to get through. And it's true. Like they go to Congress, they go to the politicians they are trying to make a change where, it, where it's actually going to matter on a grand scale, but it is, like for the run of the mill climate activist at these races, it's the wrong venue because they're going to get hurt. Like that's what I'm worried about, like really hurt. And well, that's going to suck. But, but at the same time, like I get it. Like if you're a diehard environmentalist that doesn't like 
is just like a total radical and you're looking at this in, in your backyard you're like what in tarnation are we doing you're saying this is environmentally friendly like you're high and and in that in that sense they're right man like it's but it's the it's the worst way to to try and try and advance your cause because when people end up in the hospital it's not going to be good well, we're, we're, we're 45 minutes deep here. We've got Eli back. So here's what I think. Um, I think we should do some, some recapping of, uh, of these, these three races in Tron time this weekend and, and maybe just try to like move through them pretty quickly. Like instead of a like full recap, just kind of pick out each of us can maybe pick out some, some highlights, some quick highlights, and then, uh, and then maybe chat a little bit more about, um, the, the waxing, scene and then uh wrap it up so you guys can go to bed and eli can get back to his uh family that he's been missing for the past month so um yeah what 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 was uh what were your guys takeaways from the sprint i can start i mean i thought it was exciting i mean i i also heard a lot of people kind of poo-pooing the sprint course and thought like this isn't good like this isn't a great sprint course but i i'll take the contrarian side of that i thought the sprint course was awesome to watch i thought the corners and the high speed downhills made for like a tactical like like added a lot of tactics into it and and i always like to see like how athletes solve the lines differently and, and you saw that like it was on full display it, like if you think of uh, Playbo again, I mean, it's a broken record, but he's skiing lines that no one else is skiing and he's gaining an immense amount of time, regardless of his skis and, and everything. Like he's just able to hold lines that are just better. And I think that's always fun to see. So I thought both the men's and women's sprints were, were a super exciting competition as predictable as the men's uh, final probably was. I, I, I still, I still, really enjoyed it. And, and then the women's, the women's side of things, I mean, how it doesn't get better than this. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Uh, I mean, Diggins back in the final, of course. Um, but like the shootout with like, she's going, uh, trying a totally different strategy than like Lynn Svon at the base of that last hill in the final going for broken and, and the cracking Jesse, which was crazy, <clears throat> but almost holding off a hard charging she And if you watch that, that last minute and a half or minute of that race, you're like, she's that is dangling. Like, she's like, is she going to be able to close that gap on Ribbowman and Lynn Svon or like at least be close enough? And and she was, and man, what a last hundred meters of that thing. Like that was, that was awesome. So I, I thought both sprints were were amazing, but it was cool to see she's that solve it totally differently than Lynn Svon. And, and it really came down right to the wire. And I, I that's what I love about sprint courses like that, that there's, Many roads to Rome and, and uh, people pick strategies and yeah, maybe next year the, the Lynn Swan strategy works because she's just that much better. You know what I mean? It's hard to know. So I'm excited. Yeah, I think the course is, is really good and it's going to make for an exciting world championships. Like you said, there's a lot of different ways that that's going to be raced head to head and um, it's wide, it's fair and it's really challenging. So I'm, I'm curious, Eli, like how much, well, and, and Devin, you were there too. I was really interested to sort of see the different tactics like coming off so the course was sort of you go up a small hill you come down then you go up a bigger hill and you turn a corner at the top of the hill and then kind of bomb down into the into the home stretch and 
you know, I think we see a lot of sprint courses where it's like a downhill into the stadium and there's a lot of sort of tactical guesswork with like, are is there going to be a draft? Are you going to get past? And like, I was curious how much teams were really kind of thinking about that and strategizing that this weekend as far as like that last downhill it seemed like there was a draft and people were coming from behind, but it wasn't like an automatic thing that if you were in front for that last downhill, you were automatically going to get swallowed up by everybody. Well, I was, I was on that last turn for, uh, for some of it. And like Devin said, um, Johannes's line was, was pretty, you know, a lot, it's a short home stretch, but it's a really tight turn into the home stretch. And there's a lot of different ways to take that. Yeah. Sure. And I think, I think like Shanova, I, I just was really inspired by what Shanova did, like just drilling it. Like, I'm like, oh my God, is he just, it's just for people at home who maybe hadn't seen the race or anything. I mean, there was five Norwegians and one Frenchman in the final. And you're like, okay, Shanova, as good as he is, like he's going to get team skied all over the place and block. There's so many corners, like there's no way he's no chance. And instead, like he was incredibly aggressive and it's hard to find a better one skater than, than Shanova. Like, uh, he's an amazingly stable skater, but he just really took control. And I'm like, Oh man, are you just giving it to the Norwegians? But no, like this was his strategy and it worked and he was able to distance Kim and Claybo were able to distance the field and it held. And yeah, Claybo skied just a, a dream line. Like he always does in these corners. Um, but still like Shanova holds on for second and like <clears throat> Harald all, Osberg Amundsen, I'm giving a big shout out. First ever sprint podium on the World Cup and grinds his way to a bronze medal. I mean, like this fight for the for the yellow bib is going to be amazing. You see, like Paul Goldberg's been great. Claybo just won all three races this weekend. And so it's going to be a really fun fight on the men's, even though they're all wearing the same suit. Uh, so it's cool to see Amundsen like uh, get one out of there, like have a get on the podium like that. And then like two other take homes, like Kevin Bolger, I'm really tipping my hat. So I want to hear what he like thought about that with the the American guys, but like Kevin Bolger's had like a tough go, you know, and, and like he needs to convert on these and he had an amazing qualifier. Phenomenal. He yeah. He was motivated. He was motivated and he was, and he was ripping. Yeah. That was really and he cool delivered. to see. And yeah. Yeah. So now, uh, yeah, we'll see what comes next for him. That's, that was, that was perfect timing for Kevin. He needed that. He needed that. From yeah. And, and skiing with that confidence, right? Eli, like he was really skiing with confidence in the qualifier in his quarterfinal, like, not just kind of sneaking in there, like skiing like he belonged, taking up space. Yeah, I sure he ran out a little, he ran out of gas with the big boys in the semifinal. And but still, like he was in the mix. And I, th- I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a great, great race by him. And then your boy from China talk about how not to ski a corner because he was so strong in perfect position and just got pushed really wide but as Eli was saying like it's a really tight corner it's not it's not easy on shattered legs to to hold your line but he he just got pushed right out of his line and got snaked on the inside like by everybody and had he had he skied a better aggressive line like I mean the guy would have been in the final no question he was amazing in the qualifier so he had a stomach we were Nat and I were kind of lamenting last week like what happened and everything but in Ostersund he was battling like a stomach ailment and actually was advise probably not to race and, and think about that, but he, he wanted to try and it, it didn't go, but you saw it qualified second and, and, and skied super solid, but just made a horrendous last corner. And that, that cost him a spot in the final, but the, so the men's race was great. And then the women's race, I mean, you know, you probably, I want to, I want to, I want to say one more thing about that, which is, you know, and, and 
he's posting on Instagram this morning. He is now on Wang Chang uh, is now on a plane back to China. We will not see him again this year, which is just like you can see I'm wearing my I'm wearing my Chinese national team uh, warm up jacket. And, I, you know, it was I, I heard from all kinds of people. They were like, your boy was, you know, qualified second. And he also, uh, you know, I think where'd you, got, you get where'd you get that jacket? I Eli, come on, don't. Uh, I, I just heard about your lobster. Okay, later. later. Don't embarrass me in front of my uh, in, in front of uh, my audience here. But uh, oh, it looks good. Looks good. I, I, I will just say, uh, y- you know, there there was a lot of excess, uh, possibly uh, sort of um, kick, kicked back Chinese uh, national team gear floating around the Beijing Olympics. And there was a bag at one point that was going to basically be like incinerated or thrown away that, uh, you know, I scavenged perhaps, but I will say that the, the, um, the, the key person, one of the key people I, 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 I spoke with a, how should I say this? I, I there were other venues in which I was offered free gear in China that absolutely felt like they would present a conflict of interest. This was not one of those cases. That case, I absolutely said no, thank you. I am, I am, uh, you know, my own guy here. But yes, I am totally partisan here, and I'm uh, a little bit crushed to see Wang Chang going home, but also, you know, glad to see. Uh, yeah, no doubt, he got some validation this weekend now we can move on to the women's because the women's race like i alluded to earlier and i know eli's gonna agree with me that was so exciting like i mean i thought the whole i mean it's always women's racing is amazingly exciting but i think i think the fun thing to follow like the real i mean what lynn swan did like chasing that first victory after her debilitating shoulder injury man you don't get closer than that like she would man she just ran out of real estate just a little bit like it was uh it was an amazing performance and she really made that final and like Diggins man, like making all these finals, always top five and everything looking so solid. She has no weaknesses right now. I mean, <clears throat> it's crazy. She's at a totally another level and like Victoria Carl, man, the story of Sunday, I think that gets kind of forgotten that she qualified for third in this sprint and ended up fifth in the final. Like what a, what an amazing performance by Victoria Carl. And then Julia, you know, like top 10, like I always say, like if you're top 10 in the world cup, like you're, you're elite, you're truly elite. And I know she wants more, but I thought she skied a super solid race on the women's side of things. I don't know what you saw there, Eli. I didn't see much. I just, I gotta tell you, I didn't see much of any of the races this weekend, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good sprint. No, for sure. And interesting too. Like I thought the qualifier was really interesting. I was really worried. I don't know if you guys were worried in your track, but like it was snowing like Japan out there. It was like giant flakes for some of the, especially the female athletes in in that qualification. I'm like, oh man, this is going to be unfair. So I think some people kind of got a bad draw, but, but, uh, and it was, it's always too bad when some people get a bad draw, especially on the women's side that didn't have the best seating going in. So that was that was tough to see because people that started early in that sprint obviously like had a lot less snow to deal with and but that's how it is we're we're winter sport and and uh those kind of things are those those kind of things are going to happen but i don't know we can move on to the distance races i guess and like start with the 20k skiathlon thank god fist put a skiathlon i guess there's no world championship this year so who really cares but last year one of the banes of my existence was like we had a world championship skiathlon yet no world cup skiathlon in the lead up to it, which is like amateur. Hour. Yeah. I hear you there, but to have it not be the first race of a weekend and have it be sandwiched in a triple 
or you know, know. it was it was brutal that was it a kicked really our hard day really hard day yeah yeah it kicked our butts as the staff i mean and and uh nat was talking to a little bit about that but i don't know what you guys were feeling but like i'm i'm, I'm a little shattered after the weekend because of that like i think a large part because of that skiathlon with all these new rules first time being warm classic skis skate skis things changing a lot like it was uh it, it put a lot of pressure on the uh put a lot of pressure on the staff big time and i was shocked that that like i said i saw like at least skis wise i didn't see like huge huge disadvantage like people like big names being missing the skis completely had a huge disadvantage so i was shocked because it was uh <clears throat> i agree with you mm-hmm. in the middle of, of a three-day weekend like that like oh my god but i mean we get lucky you can't you can't control the weather and stuff like that so i'm shocked everything went smoothly and everybody they got those uh those those skis tested before the start and everyone got off okay but i thought it was an exciting yeah not to mention i don't know if you saw but we were all watching the weather like 20 times a day back earlier in the week and the article was about the atmospheric river yeah that was coming and it came but pretty much not during the races exactly it came when i was out skiing with xavier mckeever at 3 30 p.m uh after the saturday race and it was (laughs) raining like it was like biblical rains on that course so yeah, you could barely hold a conversation in our, in our wax truck because of the noise on the roof. Yeah, it was crazy. It was a crazy amount of rain in the afternoon. So luckily it missed the venue and we had like pretty stable, pretty stable weather. And I, I thought like, like just like starting with the, the men's race. I mean, again, like Claybo had no weaknesses, had a ski to phenomenal race, but Musgrave man in second, like what a great start to the season for Muzzy too. And, and the way he's been classic skiing, sunday as the exception because you have a great day yesterday but aside from that like it was it had a lot of fun storylines and those four guys that got that little gap you know like krieger didrick and musgrave and claybo like i thought it was uh man what a what an exciting race all around and i i love the skiathlon i mean don't don't love it if i'm working as a technician or like a sports staff because it's a lot of moving parts but it was um it was a really really fun race and i thought like Aside from that, like I thought Ben Ogden like skied a super, super solid race too. You know, 17th and and I mean Ben Ben's a really inspiring, a really inspiring athlete. And we'll talk more about his race on Sunday. But I, I, I'm just gonna take a moment. Like I this is like the guy I like I'd be interesting to hear what you, the inside the uh, story on the on the, all these young American men, but I, I think like Ben really embodies like this next generation of, of American men and what you need to do to compete internationally. Like he goes, yeah, yeah. He wants it bad. And it's yeah, him, awesome. him and uh, listen, him and his whole crew. And you, you know how it works. Once you start getting knocking the doors and the door, and then it's easier. It, it happens more often. You know what I mean? I'm excited about yeah. that. You know, what happened yeah, also soon and, and this weekend again. So oh for sure but it's that that like intensity and that fire and that like you he just wears it on his sleeve he wants it so bad and he's willing to take the risk like he doesn't he's like i'm going i'm going for it like and uh, yeah i'm i'm incredibly inspired with what ben's doing and and all the boys all your guys uh eli like the american men are, are easy to cheer for and it's awesome to see so it's cool to see ben have a great race in 17th and then like, and then tony sear you know like he's had a tougher uh, period one than what he wanted and i thought he skied a super solid race as well and 
in 21st, you know, he's been struggling with his skating. It just hasn't been clicking. And um, I know he wanted more and stuff, but he was right in that group with Ben too. So he was, you know, they they were all fighting for that. Like they were, they were in the group to be top 15. I mean, it was right there. And uh, Ben was really close to the top 15 and, and Tony, you know, got caught out a little bit, ran out of steam had like 600 meters to go, but either way, a pretty solid day for the, the two American, the two American guys. And I don't know. I, I was also like, Wang Chang too, like, dude, 28th, he was like in the sixties after the classic, he was like straight garbage. And like what he did on the skate leg of that thing, I don't know really how he did it, but it was, uh, it was a good last, uh, yeah, I was, I was impressed with his distance skiing. I, I didn't see that in him. So I don't know. I, I thought that, I thought it was, a, I thought it was a fun scaffold to wa watch. I mean, again, I'm like Eli, I was in the truck a lot and actually for the men's and women's race, I was actually out on course, but it was like a sprint from the truck to, to be there. But, it was a uh, couple, couple good scaffolds. Anything else to add, Nat? I, I was really happy uh, to see the Swedish men uh, skiing back uh, outside of themselves. Like Cal Halverson was in that lead pack, and you know, seemed like uh, I, I really, I really appreciated Chad Salmola on the U.S. live stream. I think last weekend where he he described Cal Halverson as like the the. Forrest Gump of cross-country skiing where like you never know what you're gonna get out of him and I, I mean it just like this weekend it was I don't understand how That's you know some funny. weekends you can be the absolute very best in the world and other weekends you can just be absolute trash um I mean it's like if I I mean it makes me think like maybe I should be jumping into like Norams and super tours because maybe I'll have a day like Cal Halverson has um and you don't then have also, the Paul that Callie has. Though. Yeah, who's who's Cal, who's who's Callie? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but I mean, Callie, I, I tip my hat to him in period one here, and like he's had a couple tough years, man. Like and, he was he was the butt end of a lot of jokes because he was really bad, and, and like and he's really brought that he's brought the thunder, man. Like he's skiing with aggression too, and he's right where he needs to be skiing well, and like he's making the race a lot of times. It's impressive, really and, impressive. And then Jens Berman was also in there, like literally after, uh, you know, he was not even on the World Cup at the start of the season. He was not good in Ostersund the weekend before. So uh, like and he's struggled with a lot with injuries and other problems. So I like really nice to see him in there. And I, you know, just like wanted to echo. I mean, I just felt like across the board, like all these other problems, notwithstanding, like the racing this weekend was great to watch like both on the men's and the women's side and we really don't always get that the other thing I forgot to mention too is like the television production there are a few hiccups here and there but it, you know you compare the television production like I will say that was one thing that I feel like I mean they got a little they got a little like nerdy about it there were all these like ridiculous drone shots and they were just cutting back and forth between drone shots and close-ups of athletes faces but it was so nice to see a broadcast that was produced by people that actually know what they're doing and I think you know looking forward to world championships next year and knowing that they're going to be like Norwegians running that show like that's pretty exciting um and yeah I mean maybe just to to get into the women's ski athlon yeah before sorry before we get into the women's ski athlon I did want to ask Eli his the one only comment again like when Eli when you were dipped out a bit I was kind of trashing the skate course uh I didn't I don't think it's like a championship course at all but um a skiathlon, a skiathlon is 43 minutes. Oh, like Sean Hyman, yeah. come on. What was wrong with the skate course? 
I thought the skate course is too flat and like it not was a big it, flat. It, it and and doesn't like it doesn't allow for these selection but it, there was a selection in the end that was amazing like they did get the selection I don't know how those guys did it but they did uh those four I mentioned that got that little gap but like I expect more out of a championship course like in a skiathlon and, and you know like it kind of reminded me a little bit of like the Seyfeld. All they got to do is go up that, that warm up on the warm up track up there. Yeah. Up the I know they got to cut yeah. up into the warm up track. That I was totally agree. That was hardcore. That's super hardcore. So I hope maybe they make some changes with that. Cause like it, it was, a, it looked good on TV. Like you said, it looked great. And like, yeah. it was, it was exciting. It was exciting in the end, but I mean, for a championship course, I mean, come on. Like, I, I think you, I think you can, I, I don't know. That's my own opinion. I maybe I'm just like a curmudgeon and, and like, not every course yeah well i don't you know ground you know ground olsen better than i do but like yeah the the trails that we didn't race on are pretty 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 stout too aren't they totally man uh on the on on the wax truck side of the road there there's yeah. oh yeah oh yeah they've got a lot of like courses that we've raced in the past and they have a lot of terrain that's like stout absolutely and i was just surprised that like for the scaff i'm like really is this really what we're gonna see at the world champs like the classic side's great. The skate side, I don't know. I think they could they think they could work on a little bit, but now we can move on to the women. This podcast is brought to you by the Alberta World Cup Society, organizers of the upcoming Coupe Fist Cross Country World Cup in Canmore, Alberta, February 9th to the 13th, 2024. Hey Nordic ski fans, get ready to elevate your visit to Canmore with complete VIP experience package. You got to picture this VIP suite, indoor and outdoor access, fully catered meals, behind the scenes experience. And this is a big one in North America because we have horrendous public transit, free parking from a bird's eye view to this reserved finish line access. This will be the Nordic experience of a lifetime. So limited spots are available. Book your tickets at albertaworldcup.com. A reminder that general admission tickets are free and all are welcome. Plan your visit at I repeat, albertaworldcup.com, and you have no bigger hometown booster than me, Camera Alberta, most beautiful venue on the World Cup. Get your butts there and under the shadows of the beautiful Rocky Mountains, cheer on our athletes. I mean, I just want, that race was like, it was so exciting. You had, um, you know, Abba Anderson going off the front and chased by Rosie Brennan, who looked like, you know, she was having one of the best days of her life, like skiing in control away from like some of the best names on the World Cup, but then kind of cracked and you had folks like chasing her down. And I just I, it was it was gripping stuff. And I just I it, it was I don't know. It was so exciting seeing Jesse Diggins ski her way back into the race from no person's land. Um I don't know. I, I don't it, it, you should just if you didn't watch this race, watch this race because. It was awesome. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The women's skiathlon was just a thing of beauty. And like most women's races have been this year, I've just been riveted. It's been amazing, amazing performances. And I like to see, I mean, yeah, what Rosie did by trying like that was like, yeah, okay. In the end, like she popped for sure. Like, you know, she burnt it a little too hot early, but she did look good in classic. And, and for, for a while there, I mean, I don't think anyone was, thinking she was going to pop because she did look totally in control and right there. But Diggins' skate leg was a thing of the ages. I mean, she has, she has no weaknesses right now in, in period one. And uh, in a lot of ways, it's not surprising to see her on the podium now. I mean, 
she's solidly in the yellow bib, but the way she did it was uh, like, that was veteran skiing. That was veteran skiing by Diggins and, and another great race by Heidi Wang. I thought like, I thought that was like, Wang was great and, and another podium for her. So her, her kind of comeback after four tough years is established itself. And like Stadlober too. I mean, Stadlober's had like a rough go here in period one and like back and forth and, and skied like a super, super solid, solid day. Victoria Carl had an amazing weekend. And, and then of course, like Lynn Vaughn, it's cool to see her back in the distance side of things. Emma Ridbum's having like a Sundling type season of last year. So it's, uh, or two years ago, sorry. So that's, that's cool to see. And then the young Norwegian, like Fosnes in 10, uh, last year's under 23 world champion. Um, you know, that's the best world cup result for her. And to be able to do that at home, I thought it was cool. I thought there was just like, I thought everything about the, I do get to back in 16th, like she's had a really tough go in period one as well. Really tough go. Uh, after a pretty standout season last year so it was it was pretty cool had a, had a lot of storylines and it was really fun to see no v2 and 23rd like speaking of people that have kind of had a tough go a bit in period one and stuff so uh it, it was it was it, i don't know man the, the women's racing is like yeah if you're if you're a casual ski fan the, the women's racing is you know for your bang for your buck like you're gonna get like some pretty amazing and they went out so hard and i know women's racing like we're all used to like women just doing like gun to tape annihilate that's what they do that's what we're that's what they've been doing for decades but i don't know this one kind of caught me out i'm like oh my god are we really gonna start this hard like they were drilling it and eli's probably been testing on the classic side of things and like that's a grind of a climb man from the stadium all the way up to the top of that classic course like that's not nothing. And those women were taking no prisoners. Like it was, that was, a, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of steep pace. pitches in there. I'll tell you that. Oh yeah. And it was breaking down. Like the women didn't have the best classic conditions either. Eh, Eli, like after the men. So oh, yesterday, yesterday there, yeah, the track was yeah, pretty wobbly by then. That's I guess. what I'm alluding to. Like yesterday, those steep sections just got broken down a bit and it was, it was tough. Yeah. Well, well, can we go to, to yesterday's, uh, 10k, classic i i really want to start with victoria carl's performance in the 10k classic because she made everyone else in that race look like a child she won by 20 seconds never i think that was they said it was her first world cup win in like 135 starts amazing day for germany which has had like more than a million people i think tuning into cross-country ski races like I think absolutely fantastic to see like a new face, a new name, a new country on top of the podium and just like totally dominant performance. She was really, I think she would, uh, she was skiing really well all weekend. And um, I don't know. I'm just curious what both of you guys made of, of her performance in particular. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I thought it was super inspiring and Victoria Carl was like the next coming, you know, like when she was a junior, multiple world junior champ and like really like, the next one for Germany, they had like Evie Sockenbacher, they had like Claudia Kunzel now, like Claudia Nista, they had, they had a lot of like good skiers and Victoria Carl was definitely the next coming, but it's taken some time. But the way she was skiing this whole weekend, she was so solid. You're making a sprint finals and stuff like you're in great shape. Um, But uh, shout but, out to Pierre Nielsen, our old friend. Yeah. And, and congrats to him. I didn't get to see him Sunday because we were packing the truck. Yeah, and it was pretty big for the whole German staff. And here's uh, a here's a, a a Swedish guy who's who's also who coach who happens to also coach Frida Carlson personally, but then is also working as a staff member for the, the German team. 
that's a bit that's a bit strange but you know it just goes to show that cross-country skiing is a welcoming place and maybe like a little smaller uh little smaller scene than, than maybe people at home think but uh, it was great it was a great performance and especially with Henning who's really been struggling now in the fall you know been sick and then like struggling with her forms not bouncing back super fast and and you know she we expect Henning like to be a champ in these classic races and she wasn't even there. And Victoria Carl, yeah, she outclassed the field, but there was some great performances behind her. I mean, like Rosie, man, back on, back on the podium in second. Uh, God, she's tough. She's so tough after, a, you know, I'm sure she was disappointed after cracking in the, in the ski on the day before I me, mean, she held her own. She was eighth, but she did come undone pretty hard and, and uh, to bounce back like that, fantastic stuff. And like Jesse in, in like any other season, in the conditions that you saw out there, you, you're like, no, there's no chance. I mean, Eli's a good waxer and the boys are good, but like, but that is challenging classic skiing. Hey, I, I had to make the, I had to make the call early too. Uh, shout out to Matt Wickham. He's always wondering about if we should have big baskets out there or not. And it was a big basket day. It was most the certainly tra the track was day. glazy and icy and the pull, the polling was unpredictable and soft. Yeah. And this is another thing we talked about, like, again, when you were gone, Eli, we were talking about like the organizing committee and or like how things were going and like both days they groomed, they regroomed the course at seven 15 in the morning. Like I'm. Yeah. Which is funny because at the, at the five. team captain's meeting, they said it was going to be at four. Yeah. What are they doing? Seven. I think they're, uh, I was glad to, <laughs> I was glad to see that they're regrooming to make it a little, uh, a little less scary. But yeah, that's true. That's yeah, true, I but I mean, like the polls, especially Sunday, man. I don't know. Yeah. I think we could have groomed at five in the morning at least, so maybe we would have set up a bit better because they opened the course at eight. It was softer than it needed to be for sure. Yeah, because they opened the course at eight and they were grooming at seven fifteen, so like the course didn't set up. And then you saw that for the women, like it, it was pretty gnarly with the with the pole uh, troughs out there for for those women. So, but Jesse Diggins, like man, like it's one of the best classic races she's ever done, and then super challenging conditions, incredibly challenging conditions to ski. You got to be like, it's you have to be her, a, her best her best individual ten k classic is what I heard. Yeah, results wise, but I mean, yeah. like I think maybe like classic performance. I mean, I know she's been on podium and right. classic sprints and stuff, but like this is this is really hard conditions. These conditions were like these were challenging classic conditions for the women, and uh, yeah, it was a <laughs> what what can't she do these days? Like it's uh, she's going into the Christmas break with a lot of confidence, and then also just like, I mean, the performances. And I got to give a shout out to KSJ, like Catherine Stewart Jones, who who had some race in the top ten last year and and was eleventh in Lillehammer last year in period one, and came into the season with like high expectations and just hasn't been going her way. But I mean, eighteenth, that's a great performance she's right in there super tight she's only a couple seconds from the top 15 like you know she's she's five seconds from the top 15 uh that's a good feeling to go into the the christmas break ahead of the tour so that was a good uh that was great for her i just i just want to re-emphasize i know we've done nothing to diminish the work and really amazing start to the season by rosie brennan but just I think it can't be overstated how impressive that is. I like, I just feel like we've talked a lot about Jesse and I think like Rosie's start to the season, Rosie's 35, I think. And you know, I like, That's I've incredible. said this before, I've said this before this season, but you know, and I, th I think the consistency she's shown throughout period one, I mean, I feel like in, in past seasons, in past years, like 
we've seen Rosie like throw down a podium, but not necessarily, you know, it'll kind of happen at like Davos and then it'll be another month or two. And it's like this season, I, I felt like with yesterday's performances or, or th this past weekend's performances in particular, I feel like Rosie really has shown that like she's at a new, a totally new level, a, a new high for herself. And like, I just, you know, the fact that she, just continues to make these incremental significant gains every year. Every year it happens. I think it should be like totally celebrated, put on posters because I, I just, you know, I, I don't think that people expect it or really see continued improvement at this point in a career as something that really happens. And like Rosie is proving that people will continue to get better you know, can continue to get better into their mid thirties. Like she's just smashing it this year, like second in an. Yeah. Class. Well, whatever, whatever, but, uh, don't worry about Rosie and keep watching. She's, she's in good shape. Yeah. I've just been so inspiring. The whole American women's team is, is inspiring. And I think, I think I'd, I'm always fascinated too, that like two, the two big stars of your team, Eli, you know, like, like Jesse and Rosie are very different personalities and go about their business very differently. They're, but they're both where they're, where they're similar is they're both like tough as freaking nails in these races, like mentally insanely tough. And it's been, it's been cool. It's been cool to cheer them both on. It's been cool to see their progressions and it's uh, oh man, what a start to the season. So it's no question. Meanwhile, uh, we, Watch Johannes Klebo win a individual start distance race. What, one of the things I did really appreciate about this weekend, I think it was, I think it was especially, you could see it especially in the sprint race on Friday, but like Johannes Klebo actually showing emotion uh, on a, uh, on a racetrack. Um, you know, he, he smiled and got, seemed to get pretty pumped to win. I mean, he, you know, guy from Trondheim getting to ski and race and win in front of a home crowd three days in a row. Like he was clearly pretty pumped up, but I, you know, I felt like he's just come back from this illness that he had that kind of derailed him from the first couple of weeks of racing in the season in a, in really impressive form. And I think, you know, most, accentuated by this perform performance on Sunday to win in an individual start race and to win by, you know, 17 seconds in a, a 10 K just like pretty dominant performance. Um, and uh, yeah, Ben, Ben Ogden also yesterday, just skiing out of his mind, eighth place in a distance race. Like that was awesome. So exciting. Uh, you know, we've seen this kind of result from Ben sporadically in distance racing, but just sort of goes to show you what kind of potential that guy has. I was amazing. His 10, Ben Ogden saying, I can't say enough good things about Ben's 10 K yesterday. It was, it was a thing to behold and like in it from the start, man, and like wanting it and willing it. And yeah, it was so inspiring. And McClay was the best. I'm going to watch that one later. I didn't see it at all. So don't, Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, so that's a spoiler alert. Don't worry, Eli. He still has got a ways to go with his classic technique, but we'll leave that aside. But like as far as his will and like the the, the grit, like you you don't find a grittier athlete than Ben. And it was an it was an amazing performance. And I gotta give a shout out to Henrik Dunnestad. He was on uh, Team Telemark, so I've trained with him a bit back in the days and and he's been like a real like rise and grinder. I, I love these kind of stories where you did not make world juniors. 
did not make under 23s. Like no one is thinking about Henrik Donnesta like ever. And every year, speaking of the Rosie program, where like every year he gets a little better and better and better and better and better. And like when he was in his early 20s, he couldn't classic. I mean, his technique was bad. He was slow in classic. He could pop some decent races and skate, but in classic, like forget it. And bang, third place. Like cool to see that he could follow that up on the World Cup uh, after um, – after winning Golo, like like in the Norwegian Cup a couple of weeks ago, he beat Klebo. And it was like kind of a sensation here in Norway that he did that in the 10K Classic. And, and like Klebo's back on top form. But to see him beat a lot of big names, man, that was pretty cool. Another great race for Halverson too. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Like the whole the whole weekend was was pretty interesting. I mean, yeah, cool to see Zan in the top 30. I mean, I know he wants more and stuff. And I know they, those guys are young, like we talked about. Like they're coming. Gus in 31st. And Gus had a great period one, especially compared to the last year and a half. So he's coming He's coming back up in the right direction, which is sweet. And then I have like one question. I don't know if like maybe we'll cut it because like I don't know how much you can talk about it, Eli, or want to talk about it. But like like we heard that, yeah, you know, you take a bite. Take a bite, man. Um, But what like what I – what I um. One of your at like one of your guys' athletes, like Hagenbach, changed from Solomon to Fisher mid-season, and <laughs> that that seems to be. Yeah, like, just, like, I definitely don't want to talk about. I definitely okay. don't want to talk about that. Okay, we'll leave that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we'll I'll I'll send I'll say my like just like shooting from the hip. Like, I think that is a like quite a bold move to change brands i know no backstory just so that's just so that's known i know absolutely no backstory maybe like so but i was shocked to see him like racing on solomon's and then all of a sudden he's racing on fisher and i was thinking of technicians and also like an athlete themselves and being like oh, yeah I'll, I'll, i will so say good. one thing i was really hoping to spend a little more quality time with oleg his wax tech this weekend but he was extra busy yeah yeah that's so like that's say on that yeah, because that that's a that's a huge job for the staff, but it's also a huge job for the athlete and like finding confidence in your equipment and stuff like that. Like so, wait, wait, wait. can like, you can you can you explain a little bit like why that is? It's like you've got a fleet of skis, you're dialed in with one brand, and then you switch yeah. in the middle of the season. It's unheard of. It's unheard of, and like you know, not just like a bunch of skis. You have like forty plus pairs of skis that you that you know you have relationships with with the the, the companies, and you probably have contracts. I don't know what the details, but I mean. Cause I guess he hasn't been like at a super, super high level um, yet. I mean, he was 13th a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, but other than that, like, it's not like he's top 10 every weekend, but regardless, like it's, it's a humongous job to like, it's like in Scrabble, like, you know, you'd like, you put all your, your letters, your seven letters back in the bag and you just pick like brand new letters. Like, yeah, maybe you can get lucky and get like a cool word out of that and stuff. But like it was skiing. It's a little bit more complicated than Scrabble. Like there's a, there's a, there's a few more moving parts. So was, but I understand. I, I will, we can maybe even leave that out. I don't know. I was just, I noticed that I'm like, Whoa, what's he doing on Fisher skis here? Like what happened? But no, so, we're, we're, we're not taking that out. That's, that's interesting behind the scenes stuff. And, and, you know, it's great, great. That, you, you know, it's interesting when uh, Eli can't talk about it. I've, I have two other questions for Eli that I, that I want to ask before we sign off here. One is what kind of. I can't talk. I can't talk about that either. No, I just. Uh, yeah, my, my favorite place at uh, in the Detroit airport. Finally got here. Uh, it's the Sora Sushi Place. Yeah, you'll find it every year. What what kind of role is that though? Great Lakes, and something with tuna. I'm not sure. 
I feel like Great Lakes is actually like the Great Lakes role. I feel like if someone handed me a sushi menu and was like, take your pick, I don't, I do not think like a fresh, fresh water themed sushi would be like what I would go for. But I feel like you're a, you're clearly at this point a, a veteran seasoned world traveler. So no shade. When in uh, Rome, when in Rome, we have salmon in the Great Lakes. Yeah. Not and tuna. I don't think Maybe I sharks. would, I, I don't think I Maybe would touch sharks. them. Those as an Alaskan, I don't think I would touch those Great Lakes salmon with a uh, with a Swix triac, man. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, last question I have here, um, you know, we we've talked a little bit about this on the on the podcast, like in the past, and we got sort of actually a fairly specific question uh, in this vein from a listener within the past couple weeks. Um, <clears throat> I'm just curious, like as someone who is you know, you you are now, I think it's fair to call you like a veteran member of the U.S. ski team service staff. The U.S. ski team, you know, definitely not Norway with like an enormous like three level wax bus and, you know, teams of researchers and probably millions of dollars. But like you guys are in the game, like you're competitive. That said, you're not like Norway. You're not the New York Yankees of, of ski waxing. And you know, there's just like so much money and it that goes into this area of the sport. And it's it like seems like it is one area where there just isn't a level playing field. And I feel like we've talked about it. Wait, wait, before. wait. Sorry. Did you follow the European media that just said we're the New York Yankees of ski waxing for period one? Uh, that the U.S. ski team is? No, no. Uh, but uh, but we we've 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 had some some success and and uh, it's been fun. Well, so my question is, though, like, do you think there is more that could and should be done to level the playing field when it comes to skis and wax on the World Cup? Like, what do you think of the, you know, ideas of like matched skis, matched waxing, things like that? It's funny because you were you were talking about the uh, the Tallinn World Cup earlier a little bit. And this relates to a whole other story we don't have time to get into. But you're also talking to me about my job right now. So. Yeah, I can't answer that. I love what I do. Like you would, you would go away if we if we went that mutual route. waxing or yeah. I mean, and I mean, everyone knows that skis and grinds and all. There's more to the story, and uh, we all put our passion into it. So, I'll leave it there too. But it is interesting. I, I, I don't know what I, I'm, I'm what I'm fascinated to see, like, I, and we're, we we definitely don't have time to get on this. Maybe we'll, we'll get Eli back another time. Cause I, I was always just so curious with this, like no fluoro stuff um, coming to, it's like, man, I, I, I really like, you know, just based on experience, I'm like, okay, well then grinds like ski selection is, I mean, I think this is kind of like a, everyone at the top level just knows this it's like ski ski selection is like 80% of the game like i mean you you need to have good skis for the condition like period and it, you need to really spend a lot of time selecting skis that work for you in the conditions that you're racing like that that's that's paramount but then with with the no floor i was just so curious i'm like oh man is this just going to shift the focus to more hand structure and and stone grinds and the hand structure stuff you know like a lot of teams can play in that field but they need they need staff to to work on that and staff to get to know those hand structure tools and maybe even like develop new ones 
And the grinding, that's again, like now we're into F1 style things. Like these grinders cost over $100,000. Like they're expensive. And and uh, to have like a staff that's testing and researching, that's tough. But I was pretty shocked. Like, I mean, like I said, Trondheim, I was so curious. I, I really was expecting some teams to have like bonkers skis on, especially on the sprint. You know, when it started snowing, it's getting wet. It's like, yeah, like, oh, totally. Oh, Oh totally. man, like we're going to have one pair, we're going to have one team or two teams that are just like lights out better. And I did not see that. So it's a fascinating story just to, to, to follow along and we're going to have to get Eli back to unpack it a little more. Yeah, right on. Thanks guys. Wait, I got one. I actually do have one more question. Okay. So, Eli, what do you do when you're not waxing skis four months out of the year? Yeah, it's really is only four months. Uh, working for, for my buddy's tree service right now. Uh, which gets me in almost good enough shape, but I always seem to get some cramps at the beginning of the season, running up that Ruka Hill for the first time. Do I you have to once this summer, so that didn't really help. I was gonna say, do you have to like, do you work out during the summer to to like make sure you can like ski seventy five k a day when it's time to start testing skis? No, and it's actually not as much maybe as as that. But uh, I tell you that the the sprinting around this year has been has been real hard. I, I had some really hard, hard runs this weekend, and I think the uh, best thing I can do is go run around a track once in a while or something. Good to with know. Skis, with skis in the hand, yeah. Yeah, exactly, because this is like Eli was gone when we were talking about like the venue and the things like my kind of beefs with like what's going on with, with Trondheim, but like the trek from the wax trucks to, to get your skis photo checked was – it was no joke. It was long. It was like super long, and you have half an hour before. So, Trondheim has got some home work and icy and a hill. Yeah, crazy icy hill. hill. Yeah. yeah, like so they yeah. got some homework to do to try and smooth out some of those kinks. Because yeah, I think the, I think you weren't alone there, Eli. There was a lot of texts and a lot of teams that were grumbling about like this is a bit madness, especially if we're gonna have this at a world championship. Well, uh, we'll let you guys. Ice your hip flexors and uh and your lower backs and and Eli will will hope you get a a restful uh, week long break to or two week long break. Are you going back for tour to ski or do you get longer time off than that? Yeah, it's at this point it's um fifteen thousand four hundred minutes I think, or otherwise known as about a week and a couple of days. Uh, but I got to give a shout out to Oleg and Karel who are still dr driving our wax truck all the way in. Uh, down to Munich before they can get home for for a break. So, happy holidays and thanks to all of you for uh, cheering for the sport. Yeah, thanks Sweet. a lot, Eli. Merry Christmas and Merry thanks Christmas guys, to your old staff. Congratulations so far and good luck, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And yeah, and thanks. It's an honor. And and that, I, that it isn't, but we we, we do appreciate. <laughs> I'll, uh, you shouldn't be honored to talk to like a schmuck like me, but I do really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I tell you what, it's one less, uh, one less Devin Kershaw show I need to listen to because I think there I caught go. most of it. <laughs> oh shit! But then that means that's one less person to listen to it totally. So like, man, that's a big in percentage wise. That's tough. No, I'm just kidding. I, we get so much hate mail. It's like, come on, there's got to be more than 16 listeners. Obviously, I'm joking. We really appreciate everyone that's listening and. Uh, I want everyone to have a happy holiday. It's going to be it's going to be fun to watch the tour to ski with a couple American women beasting and and Benny and the young JC Benny and the young the young guns and on the men's side from the states and then Tony Sear back in action, Catherine Stewart Jones and some young athletes too from Canada. So it's going to like alleviate. It's going to be fun. Word out. Thanks, guys.
Thanks for listening to this episode of The Devin Kershaw Show. We'll be back soon.